a Podcast One production. If we were going to do a musical theatre dinner act, what would be the opening track for us, um, do you think? I think we should say the song at the same time, and if it's wrong, we dissolve the podcast. We dissolve the friendship. No, 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 no. Are you ready? No. Are you ready? No. Look into my eyes. You, you will know what this song is. No, I can't. You will know it. I can't. You will know this. Just think about no. all of it. One. No. You know it. I don't know it. You are. It's the ultimate opening musical number. I don't know Of any it. musical that has ever opened. Come on. I have multiple. No, come on. It's the gayest. It's the best. Oh, do you want one hit? Yeah. Asha. Okay, ready? <laughs> one, <laughs> two, three. All, All that, that jazz. jazz. Yes, I knew you were going to get it. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. And we're doing a podcast because what we're wearing is too good for you to look at. You look extra gorgeous today. Thank you, I know. It's You look really comfy too. It's Monday. Can I say it's Monday? No. You look extra beautiful today. Thank you, I know. You're, I love those pants. They're, they're like my hungover pants. The, these ones that I'm wearing today, yeah. they're the ones that I wore to Derby Day. I know, I know, I know, I know they are, but... They're like the most amazing, like they're really baggy, woolen, black and white, check hound's tooth. Who are they by again? I was um, Additions, Mr. They look really good on you. Yeah. Um, they're high-waisted. They're really cute, but they're great when you're hungover and you just like can't be bothered because they just like sit on you, but they look super cute. Which is good because I'm a little bit hungover today. Yeah. I mean, but you're also wearing that cute little Moschino leather jacket. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, it's uh, more chickens than eagles. It is more it's chickens than eagles. what it says on the back. And you're wearing your St. Laurent Creepers for creeping. Yeah, I'm, I'm very sneaky. The shoes that no matter how much you wear, they never break in. <laughs> which is what you want from every shoe that you have. I don't wear. know how they designed the pain into them. That's what I really enjoy about these shoes. Um, you look a two. It's day two in this outfit, but it's a good outfit, so that's okay. I mean, I can't, re- I can't really come back with anything because it is day two. And uh, I've worn this to like five different venues. And I'll probably be wearing it tomorrow. You've got on the Dolce Gabbana boots that you never take off. I, Which are mine. They're my boots that I've never Andy's seen again. Boot. Actually, I, they're, not, they're not my boots. I can't claim them. They're actually my friend's boots. They're my friend's boots. And the first day he wore them, somebody screamed out of a car at him, Nice boots, fag. So Which I find me so weird because they're black combat boots. Yeah, they're just like angry man boots. You lent me these boots one day, like, a, ages ago. <laughs> and you just have never seen them back. And yeah. I have, like... Destroyed. Yeah, you them. got those boots. They were new. Like the no. heels falling out of yeah. them. Like they're worn because I like walk like a weird duck. So like a corner yeah. of them's. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you've got a nice Adidas tracksuit on because I'm actually a really huge fan of like Slav fashion. I like looking like like a, a Russian Slav. I think it's very fun. Uh, you've got. Is it the Mar- yes? It's the Miami print Gianni Versace shirt from the nineties before he died, and the matching Versace denim jacket. You're looking very tacky, which I like, and just a nice classic NRA life member cap. I mean, that's obviously irony. I was slightly you mean worried- you're not in the NRA. I was slightly worried when I put it on this morning that um someone would bash me, and then you were like, "Look at you, yeah, <laughs> no one's gonna think you're in the NRA." <laughs> yeah, like a gun that maybe shoots like glitter at them or like <gasps> bubbles. Let's get glitter guns. That should be the next sound for our guests. <laughs> that's such a good idea. I want to bring back the pussy pistols. 
We used to have these little tiny little water pistols. Well, Andrew bought himself a normal sized water pistol, but then bought me this tiny little like five yeah, centimeter. Mine was like a huge big revolver, and Christian's was like this tiny little like. But I named thing. it the pussy pistol. Yeah, like mine, mine held like two liters. Yours held two squirts. Oh, I miss the pussy pistols. There's still one actually in my bathroom, in the pot plant in the bathroom. I saw it the other day. The pink one. I think it is the pussy pistol. Christian, would you call yourself a feminist? I would absolutely call myself a feminist. I think being a feminist as a gay man is an incredibly important thing. I mean, being a feminist as a modern day human is an important thing. But especially as a gay man, I think it's sort of our duty. For me, feminism is about much more than just kind of men and women. It's about equality for me. It's, it's about equality for females, for heterosexuals, for homosexuals, for people of different races. I think it's sort of about coming together and realising that there's not just one spot at the table for minorities mm-hmm. and then the rest of them are filled by white straight men. It's finding out that there is a seat for everyone. Because So, so your understanding of the word feminist is more like a banner that everybody who is pro-equality sits under because there are a lot of feminists out there who don't believe that. There are a lot of people yeah, who... Yeah, like Jermaine Greer. Yeah, who identify as, as feminists being particularly for females, which I think is an interesting idea. It's not an idea that I agree with. Uh, I think that, I mean, realistically, females aren't a minority. Like, they make up over half of the population. So I don't like to group it with minorities. I think that's a, it's it's strange for me, that concept that we're going to like, be like, you're part of the minority clan when realistically, if we gave them all a bat and a gun, they'd fucking win. When you're a feminine looking guy, mm. do you find when people criticize you for maybe wearing women's clothing or having long hair. Do you think that's part of the conversation? Do you think that's like anti-feminist behavior? Is it reinforcing that stereotype? I do. I um, At school especially, people used to call me a girl all the time because I was a gay guy who was very flamboyant and, and sort of did dance and singing and shut up. And, um, you know, people would always call me a girl and I always found that such a strange diss because I feel like in order to be offended by something, what they're calling you needs to be offensive. Yeah, like being absolutely. a female is not offensive. No, no, no. Like if all. I call you a dickhead, you're offended because your perception of the word dickhead is offensive. So suddenly being labeled a girl, I, I, I find that such a strange concept. And I'm like, yeah, like I look good in a dress, like Sumi. Poodles. If you don't have legs, you can't wear high heels. And if you don't have a brain, here's a history segment. Watch closely. Welcome to the radical fashionism school of fashion for the gifted. And the not so gifted. I love it. So I think the most, and completely, if you think I've missed one of more recent days, I think the most kind of recent obvious like slap in the face feminist moment in fashion was the we should all be feminist t-shirt created by maria grazia curie for dior spring summer 17 collection yeah i mean a a lot of that collection the set as well um was inspired Mm. by a feminist artist nikki de saint philly P-H-A-L-L-E. Um, but she was a great feminist sculptor um, who did a lot of sort of shapely women um, and used a lot of colours. And I know that the whole set for that collection was inspired by her and so were the colours that were in there. Yeah. Uh, look, for me at first, it felt like a very commercial gimmick, but I think that was definitely my own preconceived notions of Maria Grazia. And uh, it just was kind of trying to play to my sensitivities. And I think there was a huge conversation around how, like... She was the first female designer at Dior and she kind of picked up this feminist baton, which is great. Like the, the more people on the team, the better. But for me, I'd always I'd always found Dior kind of a champion of, of females. So I, I had... Well, fashion as a whole has, has typically sort of 
often gone hand in hand, at least in, in, the, in recent years. Yeah. Has gone hand in hand with the feminism. So for me, like, in my I, opinion. Yeah. So for me, like with that t-shirt, I definitely pushed back on it. But then after you said, really look, like you said, really looking at the collection, it, it, it it was it's like a kind of conscious femininity that's not really channeled into into a style or a gender like she was both very super feminine as Dior should be but uh, but also really tough preceding this was the t-shirt that parable grang who at new york fashion week in that february before that um sent bella hadid who i would say is one of the biggest sex symbols yeah, at love the moment her she is yeah you know he turned her into kind of this warrior suffragette woman by sending her down his catwalk in just a t-shirt and a pair of pants uh, saying the future is female. Um, Well, that's that's a famous slogan. Yeah, you can trace that slogan back, you know, even just to October 2015. So we've jumped back two years uh, when the former model Cara Delvine, who was a kind of a muse and house kind of staple for Chanel, was photographed with her girlfriend St. Vincent wearing the sweatsuit. I love St. Vincent. Yeah, I love St. Vincent. Whereas I think they're not together anymore, which is really sad. Yeah, boo. St. Vincent, do you want to come on my podcast? Yeah. I'll take you to Bunnings afterwards. That was a lesbian joke. I don't know if That's I can not make allowed. that. She was photographed wearing a sweatshirt with the same slogan to the Chanel show, the spring to directly after Chanel's spring summer fifteen runway, which Karl Lagerfeld staged at, like a feminist protest march at. So there was banners. There was the that was with Poppy, right? Yes. Yeah, so it, it opened with Poppy and even Giselle Bundchen, who kind of doesn't really do a lot anymore. No. but he kind of well, dra- at least for runway. She she's pretty much retired from yeah. runway. So he kind of dragged out these huge big female names put them in pink Chanel suits hot pink bags with placards and banners and I feel like Giselle as well is such sort of a a great example of a modern day feminist because she really her whole thing has been about embracing her own sexuality uh, and embracing the fact that she is a sex symbol but without sort of making it perverse or in complete control of her image. I think the reason that I digested the Chanel show much more, uh, like much more quickly than I did with the Dior show is it it very much falls in line with the kind of original Chanel ideologies. Like, you know, Coco was the woman who, who who freed other women from, from uh, really kind of tight constricting undergarments and trapped them in with itchy tweed, (laughs) trapped them in with itchy tweed. So for me, like Carl doing a, 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 like a, a protest, like an angry, passionate protest. It, it made more sense to me at Chanel than it did at Dior with Maria. Like, I, it, although I got to the same place with both of them. Just sorry, I was just possessed by <laughs> the devil. Like, I, I, what just? I was, I was trying sorry. to say like nine things. At I once. get tongue tied very often, so I shouldn't make fun. But that uh, was hilarious. So for me, I, I got I got to that kind of end point with with Carl's show for Chanel much quicker. Because I felt Coco would be proud of that, uh, so that was that was a really nice moment. But that slogan is not his; he can't he can't take reference to that slogan. From the research I have kind of understood about it, the slogan first came into context in the early seventies and was the name of New York City's first feminist bookstore, which the owners. Um, Jane Laurie and Mazel Rios, I hope I said that name right, printed it onto T-shirts, which I think is really fun because uh, they obviously weren't interested in fashion, like that they owned a bookstore, but this slogan that they came up with, the name of their bookstore, they felt needed to go onto fashion. Like they needed to put it onto T-shirts for people to wear, which I think is such a fun idea for feminism in fashion history that 
we have felt the need to put it on our backs. Like it has never just been enough to say it. We've had to wear it. Well, I mean, I think it's sort of, it's not even just with feminism, but with anything, when you put on clothes, you sort of evoke the spirit of the clothes that you are wearing. So putting on something that has such a powerful slogan, you embrace and and evoke that sense of a feminist. Yeah. And during this kind of time when this bookstore was open and these women are are printing these these t-shirts, you've got people like the great Yves Saint Laurent who also wanted to highlight that social change brought about by women like this. Um, so he started recutting his women's suits in 1968 for men and teaming them with nude look blouses, which was in yeah. direct reference to burning your bra, yeah. which yeah. I think is is a really fun idea that we've taken anger and turned it into beauty and then given women the option to repurchase and, and kind of subversively wear it every day. Like you could wear a nude blouse to work and nobody might think anything of it but you are making a huge political statement i mean i couldn't i couldn't keep going on your feminist fashion history lesson and not nod to marishia prada who has had i would think one of the most significant pasts as a female activist she's the creative director of prada and also Miu Miu, but prada is her family house we're talking about an old house that yeah. was run by like her grandfather her father it was originally leather goods and she has kind of been the the champion of it's ready to wear and it's apparel she's modern day prada she's always considered fashion a sum up of architecture art and cinema that's like one of her greatest quotes um her key words are to revolutionize amaze and dare and she always does this by mixing in her subtle sense of humour, which I think feminism needs more of. It needs to be able to laugh at itself because if it's not fun, then you wouldn't want to be a part of it. But if it's fun, like Prada makes it very, very fun. So like, for example, for her spring summer 2014, she asked a Mexican large format artist to represent the essence of femininity and pay homage to a strong, fierce woman. So that whole show just became an entire manifesto to strong women from apparel all the way through to the set design, who was there, how they were seated. It became, it was so kind of organically grown by the idea of femininity that it pushed a feminist agenda, but it, it kind of enveloped you in it. It didn't just shout it at you. It, it hugged you in it. And I think that, that for me is, is why she... Like a mother's touch. Like a mother's touch. Up next, we're going to be talking to one of our girl pals, Isabel from The Preachers, the band. They're amazing. She's um, so talented musically, but she also really is, especially in the Australian scene, a a force to be reckoned with in the feminist movement. Um, She's been very outspoken with her comments on the Me Too movement. and, And she also is a fashion icon. This is Radical Fashionism with Christian and Andy. How are you, darling? I'm good. I haven't seen you for a hot minute since the Arias, I believe. Yeah. We wanted to have you on the show because this is obviously a, a fashion podcast and we're sort of talking about social issues and stuff like that. And today we're talking about feminism and you are both an amazing dresser and a feminist. You're a champion so like, of fashion and you're a champion of females. Fashion and, I love that. and fizz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that got pubic-y. Yeah. I don't know how it got mm. there, but I liked it. Well, yeah. as soon as you bring feminism in, there's pubic hair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's armpit hair. There's pubic hair. Yeah. There's hairs in your teeth. There's, there's chest there's, hair. There's upper lip hair. There's whatever hair you want. You can have yeah. how much hair you want. You're a big fan of monobrow. You look good with it. Well, I'm, I wasn't a big fan of it. I was born with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was born with it, and I had to reconcile with that. <laughs> Sorry. That was the best response to any question ever asked. 
So, as a fellow walk, I get that though. Can we talk about your fashion credentials and not your pubic hair for two minutes? You are anti feminist. Anti, <laughs> I am being an anti feminist. <laughs> you have really strong relationships with a lot of international brands, mm-hmm. Chanel being one of them. Yes. You've been spotted around town in Prada. You're also a huge advocate for uh, like vintage shopping and sustainable fashion and reusing and, and kind of uh, reinterpreting trends. Would you consider yourself a feminist? Is that a word that you like to use? Is that a is that a like a tagline that's something you're, you're yeah, about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many connotations that go with it. I just, I feel that it's so often misunderstood mm. and misinterpreted that it's, you know, it still feels like a very final word. Yeah. Like, I'm a feminist, therefore, dunk. Yeah. Therefore, the door is closing. Whereas I always think that it should be the door is open, so let's have a conversation. Because every feminist is a hypocrite, just like every communist is a hypocrite, just like every, you know, Marxist is a hypocrite, every capitalist is a hypocrite. It's a political movement and it was a movement for civil rights, basic civil rights, which, you know, we've only really just started to understand because it's a 20th century movement and it was born out of the West, you know, which is, doesn't, really apply or speak for everybody's experience across the world. So there's all sorts of, I guess, um, layers of experience that feminism doesn't apply to. And that's where I feel like the conversation can be more open. One of my favourite feminist quotes or quotes ever actually was Yoko Ono when someone asked her, do you still want men to open the door for you? She said, sure, as long as it doesn't inconvenience me. (laughs) That's it. Sure, open the door for me. That's lovely. Yeah. Just like I would open the door for you. Yeah. If I saw you walking by, you know, please. Where do you think fashion is sitting with feminism at the moment? Do you think it's kind of harmoniously having a conversation or is it fighting each other? Or how are you you reconciling those, those two conversations that exist, obviously, very importantly in your world? I think... The problematic tension that arises from feminism and fashion is that true feminism, I mean, really, when you really get down to it, you get into the bones of second wave feminism. It is essentially communist in theory or socialist. And that, I think that's why it provokes such uh, fear in the general population was that if we were to truly consider how women may run things if they chose to do it their way or in what could be considered a feminine way, it would be group rule. It would be more communal. It would be collaborative. It would be all of those words that are now starting to form part of the ideology for modern business, which which I think is how, you know, feminism is sort of imparted this gift onto the world. We as modern feminists are not just looking for equality for women, we're looking for equality for all. And if this industry is still keeping people down in the filth to keep itself propped up, then I guess inherently maybe it isn't a feminist industry at all. Well, that's what like feminists, that's what, you know, the, the radical feminists argue is that if you yeah. engage with fashion and the fashion industry at all, you're yeah. basically undermining... The principles of feminism, which, 
you know, ah, I agree with. And then at the same time, uh, it's kind of unreconcilable because if I want to have my own expression, I engage with the modern world. I engage in modern life. Yeah. Um, we're not, I'm not going to isolate myself and go off into a cave somewhere and, you know, meditate until I, I find enlightenment. That's not, that's not life. So, um, to answer your question, it is feminist and it's not feminist. Yeah. And I don't think that it, well, I think it's enough to just recognize that and be aware of it. Um, I'm constantly checking myself and going, what? like, I love, I fucking love super, super luxury clothes. Like I love the craftsmanship. I love the the detail and the, um, you know, especially last time I was in Paris in October, Chanel took me to visit one of the ateliers over there, Lazage, that mm-hmm. do stuff for all the houses. And it's, you know, it's incredible. My nonna probably could have been one of those women with, yeah. the, you know, those hands that are just so nimble and artistic I guess the way I dress is extremely problematic. I don't like promoting fast fashion and yet um, I really like wearing little kids' T-shirts from Target (laughs) and no one else does a T-shirt that will fit me just like that. So sometimes I go to Target and buy really cheap kids' T-shirts. I don't like promoting to young girls on my Instagram that they have to live this glamorous, luxurious life and yet I'll go and splurge, you know, get myself into all kinds of debt to buy something luxury because I just love it and I want it. Yeah. Um, it's an irrational want to. Like it's like... No, no, it's not a want, it's a need. Yeah, you, you're like, hunger. oh, no, no, I need this and this is really practical because... We just went and tried on a pair of like $2,000 sequined shorts and I'm like, that's that makes sense. I this need is them. for my I'm gonna, brand, I'm going to wear them. Like, <laughs> I need wear them once and then like never again. I need them more than we need oxygen. Like it to me, it's completely... Like if somebody said you don't need this, I'd be like, you are a homophobe. The only you reason are. we're even here today is that hopefully there's some ad space and we get some cash mm. and I can buy them shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and I will wear them to bed every day. But, you know, I mean, most of that stuff is just not... I mean, it's not practical. It's not sustainable. Um, but what it what great pieces do do? Like, I still have all the Miu Miu and Prada that I bought in two thousand and thirteen for the first series of big performances we did as a band. Um, I still have all of them, and I wear. Actually, I'm wearing the Prada pants right now. This is this like suit, this two piece suit that I got, and I still wear it all the time. Um, I'll probably have it until I get too fat when I'm... <laughs> when you move when to I'm, Georgia. When I'm a big nonna, when yeah. I'm older. I just like to wear stuff, especially if I'm touring or playing, I like to wear stuff that is comfortable, that I can travel in, that's not a problem, that's not constrictive. Um, I like, I always like to have something that feels a little bit off, specifically Italian design and aesthetic. I think this is something that I've applied to my music a lot as well in in that I never want it to be too polished or perfect. You know, the French style is that very like, oh, it's so chic. There's not a foot wrong. Mm. They never put a foot wrong. Whereas the Italians, they not only put a foot wrong 
it's in like a tub of butter. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck? Every, I, I think the best accessory for every Italian designer is a smirk. Like yeah. everything looks great with a smirk when you're, when you're wearing something from an Italian house. It's funny. They have fun. They're a bit well, weird. It's a bit gross. You know, exactly. It's a, There's always something that's just a little bit off. There's something a little bit bad taste. And I like that. And wearing stuff that, you know, I just, I choose for myself. And I think that's the feminist thing, you know, choosing what you wear and then bearing the consequences of it. Um, and I think what's really true is making a choice for yourself and it's a bit like that little kid in the dress-up box. No, I'm wearing this. No, you can't tell me what to do. This is what I'm wearing. And you can be a bit of a brat. And then you see the photo back and you go, oh, fuck, what was I wearing? <laughs> You'd much prefer to like be in the future looking back <laughs> being like, what the actual fuck? Than being like, I wish that I didn't just wear a black body dress. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'd much prefer to be that. I want to have fun. I don't want to take myself too seriously. I do you like- think people do think you take yourself seriously? Because people think Christian and I take ourselves very seriously with yeah. what we wear. But we are very aware how absolutely stupid we look. The tongue like, is constantly placed firmly in the cheek. I can't talk the tongue so far in the cheek. The tongue's in the cheek in the next room. The tongue's in your boyfriend's cheek, to be honest. Like, that's <laughs> how far it is. Do you think people take you seriously? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, look, I just don't care. Like, I, I don't really care what they think. Um, I think looking, like, I remember this outfit I wore to the Arias two years ago and, yeah, it was like, it was the choice between looking like David Bowie from The Labyrinth or looking like a very sophisticated young woman. And obviously, I chose Labyrinth. David Labyrinth. Bowie from The Labyrinth, obviously. <laughs> That's an everyday look. Yeah. And I just prefer not to give a fuck. And even when I do give a fuck, like looking back and going, oh, wow, that was an epic fail. Well, at least I took the risk. Yeah. You have a very fresh and contemporary voice that I think needs a megaphone held up to it. So thank you for, you know, letting us put our tiny little megaphone up to it for a minute. Thank you for that. Like a little little baby one. Thanks, guys. I love you. That was a fun podcast. Yeah, that was fun. Let's watch you try and get your dad on the phone. Okay, come on, Rikoko. Positive eyes. He's not going to answer. You need to stop calling him. You're a masochist. I want to tell him about everything he learned. Okay. I have to be the one to pick you up off the floor when you're crushed. Hi, thanks for calling. Leave a message and I'll get right back to you. Bye. Hi, Daddy. Uh, voicemail again. If I didn't know better, I'd say you're avoiding my calls. I hope you know that um, I still know your credit card details. I don't need to call you to get them. But yeah, today we talked to Isa Manfredi. You know Isa. You know her dad. He has that Italian restaurant. You love it there. Um, she's from The Preachers, remember? Remember when you tried to join a rock band? Yeah, I'm going to leave you on that. Bye. Radical Fashionism was presented by Christian Wilkins and Andy Kelly, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Alex Mitchell, shout production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search Radical Fashionism on Apple Podcasts.